You're listening to the Theology Mom podcast. And now, here's Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager. Welcome to All the Things, the show where we talk about all things related to God, life, and the Bible. You know the real <laughs> and how we do it. I am Monique Dusan, and you are? I am Krista Bontrager, also known as Theology Mom, and I love it that we can get together each week and talk about the cultural issues of the day and how they connect to the Christian worldview. Yes, yes, because there are many things that are cultural issues. Yes. How can we bring Jesus to the center of these things? What can we do? What can we say? And helping us on the show today is, as always, Bob, the magical button pusher. And Abby is there. She's going to be the assistant button pusher today. She's learning how to run the audio, and she's going to soon be switching the show. Button pusher in training. Stand back, people. The B-I-T. Yes. 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 And we want to encourage you to uh, support the show. You can do that a couple of different ways. Very easy, very simple. Hit the share button. Share and like. Yes. Share, like, comment, yes. all share the things. Like. Yes. Because that is the gold of what we need in order to help us get the word out. I have so many people say, we love your show. And then I think, like, who are we talking to? Like, the same 80 people over and over again. So we really need people to help us. But we are us. grateful for those 80 people. We are. Yes. Yes, we are. But we need people to help us by sharing the show. Just Click on that share button. That's yes. what we need. And how else can they help support the show? Well, our family clothing line. That's right. Yes. Family 210. We have, uh, oh, is the Black Friday sale still yeah, happening? Yeah, still going on. Thanks all right. Amazon. All right. We have selected styles on Amazon. If you want to get all the styles, you got to go to the main Family 210 page. But there is the opportunity to get yes. a free thing. So I like free. Free is free good. Is good free especially is if you're good. on a budget. Yes. You've been watching the show with uh, our friend, Laura Hartley. All right. So all the things giveaway, we're doing some Family 210 swag. So tell us how how to enter. Okay. So in order to enter, all you need to do is to share the, share us, share us. Well, what are, first of all, what are they sharing? Do we, do they even know? They can, they can just pick an old episode. Okay. Find something they could share this episode. Yes. And then tell someone something tell, about the show. Like Encourage why you're sharing it. To like the show. Yes. yes. Why do you like us? Do you like us? I hope you like us. Why are you sharing the show? What is it about? Yeah. And then email us a snapshot of your share. Yeah. Yes. ATTLivestream at gmail.com. And I already have some in my inbox. Yes. Oh, yes. Good. Yes. Woo-hoo! Yes. Somebody's getting a free shirt. Yes. So and go ahead. We're and- going to do the drawing next week live during the show. Yes. So you have six more days, seven more days to enter. And so click on that share button. Send us that screenshot. But be sure to tell people what you like about this show. Yes. Don't just like hit the share button with no explanation. Tell yeah. people like why they should come check us out. ATT livestream at gmail.com. That's yes. the thing. Now. We said we were going to tell people what else they could do on Facebook. Okay. Are you remembering this? No. Okay. Folks, we have our own Facebook page. There is an All the Things Facebook page. Yes. Yes. Go check it out. Go and check it out. 
All the things show. All the things show on yes. Facebook. Um, there'll be a link to it in the show notes, I'm sure. Yeah. And you can like some, the page. Some of you have already found it, but you can see what mischief and shenanigans we can generate over on the All the Things show page. So there it is. There it is. There's us. <laughs> Being yes. ourselves. Yes. They're matching denim jackets. Yes. So. All right. So you know what's happening right now? For like the next... 10 or so hours. Do you know what's happening? No. March Madness. Yeah, I don't understand March Madness. I'm up but there on it is. Twitter. I'm up against. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't even want to vote for myself. I'm up against Alistair McGrath, who's like this amazing British theologian, historian, philosopher. I actually got accepted to go study with Alistair McGrath in 1995 at Oxford. And I wasn't able to go because I couldn't afford it. But I got I have the the, the acceptance letter hanging the, in your office. Hanging in my office. Yes. Because I, I want to feel like I'm somebody. But you're not too far behind, dear Mr. McGrath. Oh. You are not too far behind. So folks, she could totally win. So if you're on Twitter and you, you, you know, it's sort of a Sophie's choice there. I I understand. <laughs> so you have the link. Uh, if you go to Theology Mom on Facebook page, yeah. they can find the link. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Or they could just uh, find it on, on Twitter. Just search for the Apologist March Madness. Wow. So. But look at you. Not too far behind. Not too far behind. <laughs> right. All right. <laughs> I'm up against this guy who's like one of the greatest Christian scholars of our time. <laughs> well, that's okay. And you'll win. And then you'll be like, there you go. Yeah, there's like 40 people on the planet and know who I am. But all right, great. Go ahead. Go vote. Okay, you're just a little bit behind and yeah. we will vote. That's right. And you will win. Okay, we'll see. That's the competitive nature in me coming we'll out. We'll see people. if it... Vote. <laughs> yes. Okay, right. so should we talk about the show? We should talk about the show. Do the rundown? We can do it. Okay. Okay, so... Title of today's show is Should We Decolonize the Gospel? Such a provocative question. Yes. What does it even mean to decolonize? So we'll talk a little bit about that. Learning all the time. Yes. And colonization and colonizers. And yeah. if you saw Black Panther, you'll, you'll have some kind of thought about that. Wakanda forever. <laughs> or not. <laughs> I know my... My friends are looking at me like, I can't believe she just did that. That's okay. Um, and then we'll talk a little bit about, in that same vein, um, the Jude 3 Project, which yeah. is an apologetics ministry to African-American churches. They just released a new curriculum, yeah. and we have it. So we, we were able to buy the curriculum so that we can review it. Yeah, so we have it. We'll yep. review it. We'll start the review. We'll give yeah. you a little teaser. Um, I haven't finished all of it. But what I have finished, we have something to say. Yeah. Say about that. And then um, we will talk about bad Bible interpretation. <laughs> I, oh! I have I have a soapbox. I yes. have an issue. Yes, she does. There is a soapbox. <laughs> I, I need, I, I, uh, I have to have an outlet and that's why we have the show. But before we talk about say something. the soapbox, yeah. we also are going to talk about um, adoption. There was yes. a cute, a cute article, a Twitter, a yeah. tweet about um, tweet an adoption. Yes. yes. And so we'll talk about that a little bit too. And, and we have a surprise segment on black hair. Yes. Yes. And you, yes, 
Yes, I wasn't really sure where we were going to put that, Anywhere. but we'll put that there. Um, it's really cute, and I can't wait. Monique, uh, can't wait to share with you all of her perspectives about black hair. Well, yeah, Or at least some of them. Some of them. Some of them. <laughs> but um, I think it'll, it'll be good. It'll yeah. be a little uh, cultural lesson for, for some people. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so jumping right in. All we right. got a curriculum. We received a curriculum. That's from Jude 3. Jude 3 Project. I'm completely off mic. Um, it's called Through the Eyes of Color. Don't mind the little spine. Yeah, it is that way. This I'm is not, sort of know, the condition it came. It, it did come this way. It, a little, uh, as my mother would say, is a little shop worn. Uh, there's that. But it has a leader's guide and a student guide. Yes. And now the full title is Through Eyes of Color, a contextualized guide to help you know what you believe and why. And so before I even opened it up, I was like, you know what? I need to look up contextualization. Like, what is what that? Is it, what does it like? What are we doing? Why are we doing it? Um, I think that the founder of the ministry, Lisa Fields, she is doing good work in reaching out to um, African-American churches and explaining why apologetics is an important part of the Christian faith. But yes, I didn't understand why it needed to be contextualized. So can you give us a little bit of depth and, and detail and Ugh. info into contextualization? Yes, I will give the crash course, the Twitter version of it at least. So uh, once upon a time, I actually almost did my PhD in contextual theology. Um, so I was very interested in it about 20 years ago. And um, back then, it was kind of a newfangled word. It, it came to sort of replace a word, uh, the word missiology or the doctrine of missions. It, and it, it sort of replaced that idea. And um, contextualization is the part of the theological enterprise where, okay, if you, if you can imagine here, like we're going from the text of the Bible and then we gather kind of thematically all of the themes of scripture, like all of the verses about salvation or all of the verses about creation or all of the verses about sin or all of the verses about what does it mean to be a human? Okay. So these are the great doctrines of our faith, and we call this systematic theology. So we start with Scripture. We collect the Scriptures thematically. We organize them thematically. That's called systematic theology. Then contextualization is the next step of theology where we're kind of building a bridge from the systematic theology to a culture. How do I bring the message of scripture and theology to a particular people group? Now, to use a more classical example, we might think of the Wycliffe Bible translators. They come to a village and the, the people don't speak a, a language that's even been written down. So the first thing the translators must do is try to learn the culture, learn the language, Come so in some cases come up with a written alphabet, begin to translate the Bible. And then they have to figure out how do we t teach and train these people the Bible within their cultural context. That is the great task of contextualization. 
So in some sense, a Bible translation would be a form of contextual theology. Um, now, to bring it into um, an American example, the work that I do at Reasons to Believe, I think, is a contextual theology. What we do is we try to bring the gospel in a language that scientists, skeptics, and atheists can understand. And so we focus on certain themes related to creation, and we kind of lead with that when we present the gospel. So before we start talking about Jesus as Savior, we start talking about Jesus as Creator. And so it's it's a mission strategy. It's how are we going to bring the gospel to this particular group of people. And it's part sociological because you're, you're trying to understand the mindset of the people group, the language of the people group, the customs and traditions and holidays, all of these things weigh into your contextual theology. So what I think Lisa's trying to do in her curriculum is when she says it's a contextualized guide, I think what she's trying to do and the overall mission of the Jude 3 Project is to bring apologetics and theology to the African-American churches, whether those are in urban settings, historically black churches, or multi-ethnic churches. You know, different churches, different settings have different needs in apologetics. But she's trying to figure out African-Americans as a people group or as a subculture what are their needs? What is their language? How can we put these classic historical Christian truths into that, that culture and in, in contextualize it for that group of people? Is that helping anybody? It, I, I think I understand. <laughs> My question, though, is how do you do that and preserve the historical doctrine or yeah. and the the historical thought behind all of it because at, when I first started I was like well are we changing it for the people yeah and that's that's the great tank tension of contextual theology because remember what I said was we're starting with the bible over here mm-hmm. and then we go through systematic theology then contextual theology then on the other end is like a sermon or a book it's it's the expression you know, and there's a lot of distance between here and here. Mm-hmm. We went through a lot of funnels. We went through a lot of history and theology, and then we're contextualizing it. So there's a great distance sometimes between our culture in the 21st century and the original biblical culture. Tonight, uh, earlier today, I was talking uh, with my daughter Abby about a particular law in Deuteronomy, and it was very obscure law, and that the cultural distance between her context as a teenager in the 21st century and the cultural context of Scripture, it, it's it's a wide chasm, and so I'm trying to figure out how do I contextualize this so she can understand it. There's a couple of different schools of thought. One is. I teach people first about the original culture, and that's where I spend most of my time. I try to understand the original historical cultural settings, and then I engage in an education process of building that bridge this way to the modern context. 
The other approach leads with the modern context, focuses a lot of energy on understanding the culture as a people group, and then tries to build a bridge the other direction to the, the cultural setting. So my preferred method is to start with scripture and to put it into its original historical context. And that's historically how it's generally been done. But in postmodernism, and I think in critical theory, the focus is more on the modern people group as your starting point. But we probably don't want to go too far down that path. But, I, but I'm that hope- was helpful because just even the title itself, I was like through colored eyes. So are you offering us a gospel that is only for black people, black people? And what does that mean? Because the Bible isn't for just white people and it isn't just for black people. It was created for all people. And so I didn't understand what was specifically happening in the title itself. I mean, yeah. I've gotten through half or a little bit more than half. And I can say, okay, you know, I can I can see where she's going, I think, up until the point that I'm at. Yeah. But, and we'll talk about that just now. Um, but I think you raised a good point because I was thrown off a little bit by the title too. Um, because it does sound like the, te- the, the study is going to start with the cultural context of the African-American church, when it actually doesn't. It actually starts with scripture, mm-hmm. and it does a, f- a fairly fine job of it. And, uh, but I was thrown a little bit off by, by the title as well, because I, it, I, I'm always leery of this idea that there's like different gospels for different people groups. It's like, no, there's only one, one. gospel. Yeah. Now we could have different, different ways of explaining it, but we should always arrive at the same destination and it should be the same message because scripture is for all people in all times and all places. Jesus said that the gospel should go out to the ends of the earth. It's transcultural. And so it was a little puzzling to me. I thought, hmm, I wonder if this is going to be some weird postmodern kind of black gospel, something different. Yeah, I was, I was know, really but, on the fence and yeah. like, oh, I'm not really sure when we get into it what we're going to yeah. see. But let's get into it. Yeah, let's um, do it. We, I am at chapter four. There's six chapters. Okay. And you're a little bit, I think, ahead of me. Yeah, I've gone through all the the chapters. And I I have to say, overall, I'm super impressed with what Lisa and her team have put together here. I've written small group studies before about this same length. And I know what's involved. And uh, this is a very uh, fine introduction. And uh, kind of to give everyone a quick rundown of the content uh, chapter one is about basic hermeneutics mm-hmm. how do we interpret the bible and what she does here is fantastic for lay people yes. um i think you don't have to be african-american to benefit from this study and i think that it's written for lay people it's not for seminary students it's for regular people i agree i appreciate like in the leader's guide the big ideas um, and explaining that we practice hermeneutics to know and worship God by bringing our lives into harmony with his character and will. I'm like, if that's not why we're in the word, then why are we in the word? Yes. So I really, I just appreciated um, the fact that she wants people 
to not just be able to contend for their faith, but to really understand what they are contending for. What do you believe? And she definitely, they confront poor exegesis in the church, like poor interpretation. This Mm -hmm. is not going to fly, you know, which I really appreciated and was so glad was there. And giving a lot of information about the historical and cultural background of scripture that that was also very useful. Um, there, I loved the chapters on uh, chapters two and three on uh, black people in the Bible. I think that's something that's not highlighted enough. Yes. And I think in quite conversely, what you get a lot of times is that Christianity is a white man's religion. And so not only are black people in the Bible not highlighted, but it's almost that like people will take away from the experience that black people have in the scriptures and say that this is a white person's gospel. It's white gospel. All of this is just white theology for white people. Christianity is a white man's religion. And she really breaks it down to say, no, that is not true. And I think it's important to understand that this is uh, the question of is Christianity a white man's religion is a question that many African-Americans have, even if they've grown up in the church, because Mm -hmm. they hear this in culture. It's a very important apologetic question that our African-American friends need to have good answers to. And I think she provides a lot of good answers. And I'm so glad for that. Even in um, the teaching that you've done on the Ethiopian eunuch and um, what does God think about like African-Americans and all of that, like highlighting the fact that the gospel first went to a black person. Yeah, the Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch is extremely important and that the writers of scripture and God himself was very intentional about what goes into scripture. And the fact that the Ethiopian eunuch was the first person and that, that being very intentional, a very intentional act in being written there means that the gospel is not just for white people. It's not a white man's religion or, or or a white man's scripture, so to speak. Exactly. And I'll try to put remember to put a link to my video on the Ethiopian eunuch in the show notes. So that people want to check that out. They can see that teaching, but very similar to what um, they're saying in the book. I love chapter three on early African Christianity. I think many Christians are not aware that many of the early church fathers were North African Mm -hmm. and that the Ethiopian church, the Coptic church are extremely ancient. I mean, my friend who's Coptic will be among the first to tell you that their church was started in 50 AD by the apostle Mark. Mm -hmm. And um, it's important to know who the the fathers are and that it, it really helps to undermine, again, that narrative that Christianity was a white man's religion. Uh, that's kind of uh, not so fast. We, you yeah. know, let's not be so fast yeah. with that, that, that generalization. So I love that. I, um, I like that she even goes into explaining how Christianity and certain parts of the Bible have been used erroneously to oppress, but that that was an error and heresy and was never intended by God to be used in that way. Yeah. I I think there's such great content in chapters one to three. I also loved chapter five, um, the one on engaging black cults, because there are a number of cults 
that do have a tendency to target mm-hmm. the African-American community. Yeah. And there are special needs of engagement that the African-American Christian needs to have answers to that might not confront the average white Christian or Latino Christian. The Nation of Islam. I remember growing up in South LA and you see the people from the Nation of Islam selling their little pies on the corner or whatever. But my mom was always like, you don't talk to them. (laughs) I didn't know why. I just knew that we don't talk to them. Um, I don't think she knew why either. But we didn't talk to them. But now that I am more aware, it's like, what would my answer be to someone from the Nation of Islam? Now it's the Black Hebrew Israelites. And how do you give answer to them? And And so people might not even be familiar with them. We actually saw some when we were down in Venice. Yes. Um, That was my first time to see them. They kind of stand there with microphones. They yell a lot. They call people some not nice names. And uh, I loved what Lisa said in chapter five, that she ran into some black Hebrew Israelites at an outreach event. And she just listened to this guy talk for a long time. And then finally, in exasperation, he asked the question, why are black people suffering? Mm -hmm. And that um, there was just such a deep sense of pain, confusion, and abandonment. No, and oh, I just you going you way I know she way ahead of me. She breaking it in for me. But I I just thought, wow, that's that's such a great insight. Yeah. into cult apologetics. Mm-hmm. But I would love to see more voices from the African American church. And I would love to see like whole ministries just engaging in black cult apologetics. Mm-hmm. I think there's so much room there that you could have an entire ministry that just specializes in this Hebrew-Israelite error. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a very fine article on the Jude 3 Project website of like the 10 things you need to be conversant about before you talk to a black Hebrew-Israelite. Wow. It is no joke. Yes. I mean, it is- I have encountered one. (laughs) I have encountered (laughs) one. It is complicated. So I loved it that, that they included that as a chapter. Yeah, um- I think that, let's see, Jeremy says, are they discussing a book? Yes. This, wait, yeah, this book here, <laughs> um, Through Eyes of Color, a, a contextualized guide to help you know what and why you, be, um, what you believe and why. And it is from the Jude 3 Project. They are a ministry, an apologetics ministry that reaches out to black churches. And so we're talking about this small group study. It's brand new. It just brand came new. out. It just came out two weeks ago, I believe. Yeah. So we've been following Jude 3 for a while. And yeah. we've been wanting to do a video for a while about the Jude 3 Project because they've Lisa Fields, their founder, has been featured in Christianity Today. Mm-hmm. And she's being sponsored by Ravi Zacharias Ministries. In fact, RZAIM was part of the team of putting this together. Yeah, she gives a shout out to them. Yeah. So we were curious to to find out, you know, all right, yeah. let's 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 see what this is. Another piece of the book. Um she quotes some fantastic quotes. Um 
I'm not too sure of all of the authors. I haven't done a lot of homework regarding everyone she's quoting, but some I know. And I'm like, okay, that sounds good. That person is sensible not to enter things like critical race theory or critical theory. A lot of them were featured on her podcast. And then she started capturing those as a resource and then putting those quotes in, Mm -hmm. in the study itself. Yeah. And then, um, but then she also does quote some people where I'm like, well, no, right, on the, right on the first um, page, there's Dr. Eric Mason. Yes. On the uh, first page what, of chapter no, two. In, in fairness, what he's saying, I can agree great. with. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? But he does hold more of a critical race theory view. Um, in chapter four, I've noticed, um, and we noticed this together. You actually pointed out to me that she highlights James Cone and black liberation theology. And I haven't gotten very far past that. Yeah. So I'm not really sure how deep it goes or who else she's highlighting. But I think that that is something to be cautious about. And when we are completely done with our study and review, then we'll post something, right? So I think that there's a lot to be positive about. Yeah. You know, but to go back to um, some of our earlier conversations that we've had about critical race theory to just understand that Lisa at times does platform advocates of critical race theory mm-hmm. and, and Christian leaders. There's a very positive mention in here of Akemeni Uwan and then the truth table podcast. Uh, she quotes Jamar Tisby, mm-hmm. um, James Cone, James Cone in a very positive way and lists him as a resource for going deeper. And James Cone is sort of the father of black, black liberation, liberation theology, theology yeah. which again we don't want to completely demonize that either. Like we've been listening to James Cone videos on YouTube the last couple of weeks. And I I was telling you, like, I love his descriptions of black culture. They're very beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, I completely disagree with a lot of his theology, Yes, but um, I, he's incredibly influential. So, um, you know, in Lisa's, podcast on the Jude three project. There's a lot of what she does that I love that I think is so needed in the black church. And, but we have to be careful because just because something is needed, we have to make sure that what we're filling the gap with is sound and isn't leading people farther away or offering some kind of error. Yeah. And in highlighting certain people, I, I am extremely cautious of telling people, oh, hey, you should go and check out this. You should listen to this podcast. You should check out this author. From Jude 3. From Jude 3, because I don't want people to accidentally get mixed up with thinking that this is the right way. That even though there is truth in what's being said, if there happens to be like a next, a click next button and it goes into something regarding critical race theory or whiteness or white fragility and, or that there's a white gospel. I can't in good conscience, yeah. like refer someone there and then be like, Oh, you know, you don't have to worry about that. Yeah. You know, it just, to me, it leaves too many open doors. It's hard. It's a little conflicting. Cause I totally want to like be on board with everything that Lisa's doing because she's doing such great work yeah. and, 
I love what they're, so many aspects of what they're doing, but. I really just want to sit down and, and have a conversation with her, have coffee and yeah. like understand. Like where she's better. coming yeah, from. What, yeah. And why platform these people, but then, you know, not others or what is your personal view? Because I find it hard to hear her personal view, even though her ministry will platform certain individuals. I don't know if that's yeah. necessarily her stand or if she's trying to just create dialogue. Right, because her Courageous Conversations conference platforms people who have gone to evangelical seminaries and people who have gone to more mainline or liberal seminaries. Mm-hmm. Then they have a conversation together. And what I can't tell is what's her position? Yeah, Like, what does she want people to walk away with? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I would love to have that coffee. So let's go back to, to contextualization. Does the gospel need to be decolonized? Because... Mm-hmm. Let's let's break that down a little bit. Okay, so what is decolonization? Well, let's start with colonization. Okay, um, colonization, especially in the more modern context, and um, in light of things like critical race theory being related to an oppressive um, system. So colonizers came over to America and colonized or took over. I don't really know what's going on. We have people waving arms. I didn't know if somebody was praising Jesus or I didn't know what was going on, but they had their arms going. Um, But um, it's, it's the idea that what has, what was brought over during the colonial period um, was oppressive and took away from the values and experiences of people of color or natives and things like that. And so to decolonize the gospel would be to remove the pieces of it that are oppressive, to get back to something that is more authentic and would um, offer maybe hope to the marginalized if you don't see the gospel is the current gospel is offering hope to the marginalized. Um, white theology would be the systematic theology that does not include voices of color. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think that what people are hearing more and more these days is this term of colonization and how the gospel has been colonized. They even came up a few weeks ago when we talked about the Kanye West thing. There was a, a tweet that got a lot of action that, well, Kanye could truly be converted and his understanding of the gospel essentially could be colonized. And so there's this idea that there's kind of a white conception of the gospel Mm -hmm. and that it's different than the gospel that people of color might believe in. And how it is broken down um, all the way from what scriptures mean to how they're applied to what is preached all of it. Yeah. It doesn't, um, it doesn't affirm people of color or, and this is not my view. I'm, I'm just saying like, this is what that would, you know, what also relates to that. It doesn't affirm people of color. It doesn't um, speak out against the marginalized of society or the refugee and things like that. That is the colonized gospel. It promotes the, um, the advantage of the white. So when we hear that white. term, we have to know that probably some level of critical race theory is in play in that conversation. That's kind of where that term comes from. Now I have, I am a skeptic about the whole white gospel idea. 
um, if it's not properly understood. Like, there are Christians who believe that being an American is almost like the same thing as being a Christian. And Mm -hmm. they don't have a proper understanding of the historic Christian faith. But if I go talk to an Egyptian Christian and I talk to them about the gospel, a knowledgeable Coptic person, um, they're going to tell me basically the same information as if I go over to my Protestant church. Like they're going to believe in the Trinity. They're going to believe in the incarnation. They're going to believe in grace. I mean, we're going to have some shades of difference on on, you know, the amount of grace and and how all of that works. But I mean, by and large, the facts are pretty much the same. And it's, it's hard to, for me to, to think of someone who's an Egyptian as propagating a white gospel, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that there's a bit of an oversimplification that happens um, with this idea And so I'm a bit of a skeptic that white people believe in one gospel and people of color believe in another gospel. Now, are there distortions of the gospel that are out there in churches? Are there distortions of the gospel in American churches? Sure. Are there distortions of the gospel in other countries? Probably. But there's also this kind of core group of beliefs of what it means to be a Christian. I think that is the transcultural part of our faith. I don't think the doctrine of inerrancy is a white doctrine. I don't think it's white to say that the Bible is the error-free word of God. I don't think it's white to believe in the incarnation or the Trinity. I don't think those things need to be decolonized. Yes. I think the... Rejoinder to that would be from from someone who holds to critical theory or CRT is that what would make it white is the lack of intentionality on highlighting people of color. Yeah. Um, and and could we do better on that? Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think we could. Yes. Yeah. Um. I just, yeah, I, I think that's that's what it would be. I, I'm trying to like sort out all my thoughts yeah. right here. on Like they just flooded me all of a sudden. Um, but I think that's what that would be. Now, do I think that the gospel is white? No. Yeah. No, because when you go back and you look at the original arth- authors and what they were saying and where they came from, they weren't white. They were people of what we would call people, people of, of color. color. <laughs> so I don't know. That part makes me like, hmm. Now, and the it, fra- many of the fathers mm-hmm. were not white. Yeah, Tertullian. Uh, yeah, had to learn learned all about Tertullian, <laughs> Athanasius. Ir- yeah, Irenaeus. And these were not white people. But when you get to America and Protestantism in America, then you have this this message that kind of gets skewed, or, or not even kind of gets completely skewed and taken out of context and just completely done wrong with things like the slave Bible. And so I think there is where we tend to create this idea of a white gospel and a black gospel and things like that. But what black people need to understand 
is that our history, and Lisa says it beautifully in this book, is that black history goes way back before slavery. Black history goes back to the beginning pages of scripture. Yes. And so if black history is going all the way back to the beginning pages of scripture, if we were there, this isn't a gospel that needs to be considered white. It is not, Christianity is not a white man's religion. And and now where I think we would part ways or people that she highlights may part ways is in the idea that the gospel is colonized. The gospel is white. Yeah. I don't believe that. I think that when you do proper exegesis and hermeneutics of the scriptures and like all of that, you'll find that, like you said, looking at the ancient church is where we should be living. It goes back even before like yeah. the Reformation and Protestantism and like all of that. And that's yeah. where we should be looking, not just at what we've kind of made up since we've been in America. Yeah. And I'm always trying so hard in my teachings to differentiate between American Protestant Christianity and a more global historical version of Christianity. And, and that's what people are going to get from me. Some people are going to love it. Some people don't love it. That's okay. I can live with it. So um, anyways, so those are some of our thoughts about, again, we've been talking about the new small group curriculum from the Jude 3 Project through the eyes of color and lot to praise here. I mean, overall, I'm like a thumbs up on it. And um, I like a ton of things about this and, and what they're doing. I just have some cautions about some of the people that they're platforming. But, but we will do a full review. Yes, we could do a full review. There it is. I think we should. Yeah. I think we should. Okay. Yes. Okay. So, so. next up, uh, let's talk real quick about women in apologetics. Yes. All right. So people, all right, we have to have a serious conversation right now because. We got to have a family meeting. We right? have a family meeting because. Come on close. Got to have a little meeting. The best time to get the lowest price is right now. Like it's, it's going to be in January. It's only in like five weeks away. And I know the holidays is in between there, but we got to start having a plan about Give someone. Yes. A ticket to the women in apologetics conference a and then go with them for them and their teenager. Yes. Yes. Cause this is going to be an amazing lineup of speakers. You're going to be hearing from a lot of our friends who have been on the show yeah. And people that you guys have kind of gotten to know on the show. Natasha Crane's going to be there. Natasha's going to be there. Um, Hillary Ferrer from yeah. Mama Bear Apologetics yep. is going to be there. Yep. We're going to be there. Whoop, whoop. Yes, we are going to be there. We are going to be talking about critical race theory and doing our crash course on critical race theory. So you're not going to want to miss that. But now is the time to get the lowest price. Yes. And... Um, Go website. to Women, Women in Apologetics. Women in And yes. you will find out. Hey, there I am. Uh, I'm a little heavier there. Uh, and uh, you can go find out about the conference. And if you can't see us in California, get the live stream because you'll be able to get all of the plenary sessions, um, the, the, um, the Q&A panel, the worship, and we, the board is working hard on trying to get um, the breakout sessions too on the live stream. That'll be awesome. We talked today about it. Yes. So it's going to be at our alma mater. It's going to be at Biola. Biola. Yes, it yes. will be. Yes. Yes. So come see us. Eagles rule. Yes. At the Women in Apologetics. Okay. All right. Now we have a very special segment. 
Very special. All right. So oh, yeah. Bob's gonna Bob's gonna the uh the animated video. The last one you said? Yeah. So Monique's gonna Okay, y'all gonna have to just bear with the video. It's so good. That's just my own um <laughs> interpretation of it, but yes. All right, here it is. This is a real movie. The sound is the sound's not they're not hearing the That's sound. okay. Yeah, they don't need the sound. There really isn't that much uh happening there. What? Uh, okay. Yeah. So Monique, you wanna talk to us? Okay, so this little girl, <laughs> so cute. She woke up and she realized that there's a special day on the calendar. And she's gonna get ready for her day. Cute dress, nice shoes, my kind of girl. And here it is. Taking off her yep. bonnet. Woo! Yep. <laughs> yes. Can you can you relate to this, Monique? Can you relate to this? <laughs> My bonnet <laughs> is worn every day, people. So Trying to decide how how am I gonna wear my hair today? Cat is like, would don't be crazy. There are so many styles to choose from. She finds the perfect one. She's imagining it. Imagining mom doing her hair. Yes. Yes, that is the story of my life. <laughs> yes. Now, people comment on the show quite a lot about your hair. Yes, especially when it's afroed out. <laughs> Wait until they see it. And here comes yeah. dad. Yeah. He's going to come to the rescue. No, he's not. The hat. He's like, not today, Satan. <laughs> We're not putting no hat on this. Now, here is the part that I resonate with the most. When the hair fights back. <laughs> yes. You watch. <laughs> yes. That's kind of what it's this like for you. It is. Look at it. Look at it. All right, so what is happening here? We can, um, <laughs> it can play in the background, but I'm going to just tell you now why I thought this was so profoundly beautiful. It's because for a lot of black girls and black women, I am one, our, our hair is a source of contention for us. <laughs> and so we straighten it to make sure that it's, more acceptable or more beautiful, but the way that it grows out of my scalp is the way that 
it should be considered beautiful. What is beautiful in God's eyes? We've had a, a conversation about this, about what is good, true, and beautiful. Yeah. And there's ways that we can just define through God's eyes what is good, true, and beautiful. And I feel like what he's created is good, is beautiful. Yeah. But yet for so many women, it's a source of contention, black or white. Anybody with curly hair or... Because curly people, hair yeah. pe- curly hair people want it to be straight. Straight and, people want it curly. Yeah. Yes, yes. And, and it's, so... It's a mess. Yes, but um, I just, I thought this video did a very good... Um, There's so much kind of positive sy- in this Synopsis video. of, yeah, yeah, of what happens and highlighting the fact that, you know what? You're different is beautiful. Yeah. And it doesn't need to look a certain way. It doesn't need to, you know, some people say, oh, well, if you have straight hair, then that's bad if you're black. Or if you don't, then, you know, it's something else, whatever. But to me, this video just showed like, you know what? I'm going to rock my hair and it takes patience and prayer <laughs> and juices and berries. And a to little get bit of exorcism. Stuff. Yes, it does. Because <laughs> my hair is definitely that kind of hair that will take the comb and snatch it away from me. But at the end of it, what God creates is beautiful. And it doesn't matter if it comes out thick. I I, I have many jokes about my hair and, and its thickness. Um, but that doesn't matter the way that that God has made your hair is beautiful and we can't allow for culture or anyone else to say what he's made is not beautiful or should be a certain way. I don't think that sometimes people appreciate how much cultural pressure there has been on black women to straighten their hair yes, or to make it appear white mm-hmm. in its styling. And it's kind of a newish thing for black women just to wear their hair natural. And in fact, like some states now are passing laws to try to protect uh, black women from having to, being forced to straighten their hair. Yes. It's like, this is how it grows out of my head. If we have to pass a law (laughs) in order for me to wear my hair the way it grows out of my scalp, I feel like we still have a lot of work to do, folks. Yeah. (laughs) There's still a lot of work to be done. But- at, at the end, she was doing her hair because she was going to go see her mom, who looks like she herself is struggling from, you know, some cancer. ailments, ca- cancer. Um, but I just wanted to highlight the beauty in things that are different. Yeah. And what is different for me is beautiful and what's different for you is beautiful. And yes, I am waiting for somebody else to, you know, make a video about white hair and the struggles <laughs> with white hair and how beautiful that is. Because it is beautiful. Yeah. And I think I love too in the video, just what a positive um, portrayal it is of, of this African-American family, how the dad was trying to help his daughter with her hair. Dad's coming up nowadays. Yeah. Yes. Because moms is like, look, I have had my feel of trying to part this. <laughs> this stuff. Y'all, y'all don't know. Y'all don't know. I'm not even going to put myself out there like that. But ooh, it is it it it's a prayer request. If any of y'all would like to pray for me, go ahead. Because <laughs> it is it's a prayer request trying to get this done. And I wore it froed out today on purpose because I was like, people need y'all don't know y'all y'all don't know y'all don't know the struggles I've seen. Y'all don't know my sorrows. But um, there's there's beauty in this, just as the same way as there's beauty in yours and. One of the things I think in culture today is that 
some people will say that mine is beautiful, but yours isn't. Yeah. Or yours is beautiful and mine isn't. And the truth is, is that it's been created by God and it is beautiful. And we can't allow culture to dictate or define what is good, true, or beautiful. That's right. Because God has just made us this way. And, and I think it's such a positive message of trying to just to celebrate what what God has made. And I love your hair. You know that I do. Yes. You know I love it when you wear it froed out. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. It. I mean, it's a process. I'm, you know, we'll just, let's keep going, people. I, I like a good fro. Yes. So. Okay. Um, let's talk about a video that was making the rounds on Twitter this week. Oh, I don't know which one? Okay. Oh, I hope I hope they can, because otherwise this will this will go nowhere. Okay. All right. So this was making the rounds on on Twitter. Oh my goodness! Th- yeah. Elder Kia Moore. word of God and Jesus is the word of God made flesh. The Bible says that Mary delivered Jesus and preaching is to deliver the word of God. If preaching is to deliver the word of God and Jesus is the word of God and Mary delivered Jesus and Mary delivered the word of God. Mary preached a sermon on Christmas morning so all I came to say is it was strategic that Jesus chose a woman to carry Jesus because he wanted us to understand that it is okay for a woman to deliver the word of God. Ba-ba-ba-ba and the word of God. Ba-ba-ba-ba. We're talking about Jesus. Yes. Okay. Now, I, I just wrote in the chat box, I hope y'all ready for Krista's soapbox because I feel it coming. It's like the box of like, I don't know. What was that? that that's so fresh and so clean um, on the Brady Bunch. I don't know what that soapbox was called, but you, it's going to be bigger than that maybe, one. Maybe oh, should... Jeremy Webb says, um, <laughs> yes, she's going to finish all of that. Maybe we should play it again. Just, just, yeah, let's, let's play again. Annette says she needs to slow down. Because Annette didn't quite follow it all. So let's, let's just make sure everyone's following along with the logic. Nancy, um, yes, um <laughs> is the right one. Here we go. We're going to just do it one more time. Jesus is the word that became To preach means to deliver the word of God, and Jesus is the word of God made flesh. The Bible says that Mary delivered Jesus and preaching is to deliver the word of God. If preaching is to deliver the word of God and Jesus is the word of God and Mary delivered Jesus then Mary delivered the word of God. Mary preached a sermon on Christmas morning. So all I came to say is it was strategic that Jesus chose a woman to carry Jesus because he wanted us to understand that it is okay for a woman to deliver the word of God. Blah, 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 blah. And the word blah, 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 blah. Okay. (laughs) That was the best. Oh, my word. Okay. There's so many things I want to say about this clip. Okay. First of all, (laughs) this is why 
people, like a few weeks ago, we did the thing on Beth Moore mm-hmm. and John MacArthur yep. and John MacArthur telling her to go home. Mm-hmm. This is why. This is like exhibit A as to why some men say women should not preach. Because this is not good. This is not, I mean, we've been talking about all the sound, Bible interpretation, how important that is. And then you get stuff like this. Was it the ba-ba-ba-ba you didn't like? Well, it's actually the purple background. It was just so distracting. No. (laughs) So many things. So this is, but this is the kind of thing that some people will point to and say, this is why women shouldn't preach. Well, okay, because, break it down specifically. Yeah, what okay. is it that we are not liking? Okay. Deliver some comments. So yes. the first Deliver thing. Deliver some comments. <laughs> the first thing is that this is a fallacy called the equivocation fallacy. Now, the equivocation fallacy, I think I have a little definition here of. Uh, it's a slide. Okay. And it's in in logic, the equivocation fallacy is to, uh, it's an informal fallacy. And it's when you use one term, but you have multiple meanings and then you apply it in different ways. And this is what she does is that it's like, well, the word was made flesh and the word is a sermon. And Mary delivered a sermon because she delivered the word. And this then becomes an evidence for women preachers. And I'm like, no, make it stop. This is just a big example of the equivocation fallacy. It's not the same word. That word doesn't mean what you think it means. You have to look at the context. It's like the word flesh in the Bible. Mm-hmm. The, the apostle John uses the word flesh to refer to Jesus coming in human form, in human flesh. It's called the incarnation. Mm-hmm. When Paul uses the word flesh, it's often in a negative way of it's referring to our sinful human nature. It's the same word, but it's two different meanings. Mm -hmm. So when you are using a word, you have to put it in context. Mm -hmm. The Bible was not written in English. It was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. You cannot just use this word like a math problem, A equals B, B equals C, A equals C. That's not how Bible interpretation works. And this is the kind of thing that when people hear this, they're like, what just happened to me? What did I just hear? But she got a lot of cheers about it. People thought, you know, like here she is bringing a word. And this is so disturbing to me because I'm like, it's troubling when I think about the interview that we did last summer with mm-hmm. Dr. Mike Gurney from Multnomah. Mike, Mike. This is the very thing that we were talking about yes. is, is preaching that is not expressing good biblical interpretation. Mm-hmm. We've got to do better. And this is the very reason why a lot of people will point to to say, this is why Paul says women should keep silent in the church. They're not educated. They don't know proper Bible interpretation, and they'll point to things like this. Now, I think that it's important for, um, you know, we can have a conversation about women equipping women, and but that doesn't mean we need to be sloppy about it. Yes. 
we can still learn. We can still use proper biblical interpretation methods. And in fact, I'm going to recommend a book for everyone. If you want to get started on the road, this is a great book to get you started. I used to use this book with my daughter when she was in high school. I used it when I taught at Biola for the for all the freshmen. It's it's not hard to understand, but it's going to get you on the road. It's called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon Fee and Doug Stewart. It's a classic. It's a modern classic. It's in the the fourth edition now. This is a picture of the third edition, but it's in the fourth edition now. And I mean, it's it's sold hundreds of thousands of copies. It's an amazing book with good reason that it sold a lot of copies because it's actually a good sound book Mm -hmm. and it can teach anybody that if you are a a plumber, a baker, a candlestick maker, you can read this book. If you can do your, you know, if you could fill out the 1040 EZ form for taxes, (laughs) if you can have a trade, you can do this. You can Read books like this. There are so many tools available now that we don't have to rely on rhyming mm-hmm. and alliteration well, and things like one that. One of the things, too, that when we've been talking about um, like exegeting scripture and just understanding scripture, it's that we're looking to understand what the author meant. We're not looking to come up with something clever. We don't need to reinvent or come up with some new meaning to things. And I think that we see a lot of that nowadays in episodes and things like not episodes, but like in clips like this, but just in, in church in general with, Oh, the Lord has given me a new revelation. I have a fresh revelation of what this means. And well, what about the revelation the author was giving? (laughs) Can we, can we go back to that? Can we talk about the historic Christian? Yeah. What what have we always believed? Because now 2000, Plus years later, you're yeah. saying that there's a new revelation, but there hasn't been a new revelation from it in all these other years before <laughs> until it came to you. Maybe I'm not trying to be a, you know, a denier of God in your life, but what about what we've always believed and have held yeah. on to that has done us well, yeah. you know, all these years later. Um, and Annette's saying there's plenty of people who don't go to seminary who don't preach like that. And I agree. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, I have a friend uh, he watches the show. I, I think he'd be okay if I call him out. But my friend Rusty, uh, I don't think Rusty's ever been to seminary. He leads a small group. He's very faithful with it. But he is so dedicated to really sound Bible interpretation. Mm-hmm. But he reads a lot. And he reads good books. And he's equipped himself. And he um, has just slowly and steadily educated himself on sound Bible interpretation so that he can lead his small group. And last year he led them through the gospel of Mark and um, it's, it's great. And I love to see that you don't have to go to seminary, but you do need to be interacting with the right material. Yeah. And you know, if we live in a day and age where you don't have to go to seminary anymore, you're absolutely right about that, but it does matter who you're interacting with and how you're arriving there. And you will have to put some effort into it because stuff like this preaches well, and you can get a lot of amens and you can stand up there and have a title and all of this. But it, it drives me crazy because 
people start starving in the pews and then we wonder why they're getting carried off into doctrinal errors. So look at Hannah Marie coming on through. Yes. I feel like we also are in a cultural mindset that encourages a person's gifts and passion for teaching as more important than pairing it with education and understanding. That's a word. Yeah. That's a good word. That's a good one. Yeah. I I think you're absolutely right about that. Yeah. And we can't enter into emotionalism in, in delivering the word, you know, what, what is true? What did the author mean? That has to be the foundation. Yeah. It doesn't have to be boring, but we got to no. start with the right foundation. Yeah. You know, and because if not, then we can, it's so easily, um, it's so easy to be carried off by every doctrine and every teaching. Yeah. In every like wind of emotion. Yeah. Well, well, this speaks to me this way. And so I'm going to preach this. Yeah. You know, or this is going to get the congregation on their feet and clapping and in the black church, we say hooping, you know, so, you know, <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to say that there's, hooping. there's all that, but, um, oh, yeah, gosh. no, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what, so, what she was doing and I don't condone yeah. that. I'm just, I'll say that. <laughs> all right. No, I just thought it was a really good example of, of sometimes where the emotionalism can run ahead of, of the truth. So Annette said there are a lot of seminaries that aren't giving a good education. Mm, I could I could agree with that nowadays. It's it's yeah. a struggle out there. Yeah. And and there are good alternatives. Um there's a, so many good free uh courses now that are even available on the internet um that you can get, you know, if you but you have to know who to look for yeah. and you have to know, you know, what books to interact with, but um it's good. Jeremy says emotions are are great followers, but they are terrible leaders. Ooh. Abraham Hamilton III. Yes. Nancy Adams. Amen. Monique, one shouldn't rely solely on emotion rather than what the original author wrote. Yes. 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 Okay. Are we ready for the tweet of the week? Tweet of the week. I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know. I don't know. Aww. Christmas edition. Yay. Oh, I love that. That's so nice. That is nice. It wasn't silly or puppets or anything. Or a chicken. <laughs> oh, I don't know. If that's a turkey. Yeah. There's that one. <laughs> no. Okay. So we had, have saw a um, viral video this week. It's going around of this cute little boy. We're firing is up it, the machine. Is there, there audio? There's no, there's no, there's audio. no audio. Yeah, we'll just talk okay, about it. Right, here we go. Oh, Michael in, is in kindergarten, and he was getting adopted. I love this. He invited his whole class. They filled up rows of seats in the courtroom. And they all have little hearts on Look, sticks. So cute. I know. And they're, they were introducing themselves to the judge. And every time they loved something, they would hold up their heart and wave it. It was so cute. And so here he is. He's getting adopted. There's his new mom and dad. Look at that bow tie, though. I know. For real, Michael? <laughs> He's so cute. Okay. So. I love this. You chose this tweet of the week because? I just think that it's so cute to hear at the end he's his dad's talking to the reporter 
The little boy's holding the microphone. He says, I love my dad. <laughs> so cute. Well, I, I guess the reason I picked this was for a couple of things is that adoption is one of the key metaphors that God has used to reveal the nature of our salvation. Mm. Um, he, he reveals that we are adopted um, when we become children of God, mm-hmm. when we repent of our sins and we believe in Christ, he forgives us and we become co-heirs with Jesus and we become children of the Father. And I love it because then we are all knitted together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we are kind of all one big adopted family. Mm-hmm. And that adoption is part of our spiritual identity. And when we see, when I saw that, I was just so struck by the, you know, you could get wrapped up in the cute kid part of it. But to me, it's such a profound picture of what God has told us about our salvation and the kind of relationship that we have with him. And that when we know who we really are, that we have been declared in, in, if we might say in the Lord's courtroom, that we have been declared adopted Mm -hmm. and that the father loves us so much as children. And we can say, I love you, daddy. And I love my dad and look at what he's done for me, that that joy and exuberance, you know, we get so excited if we ever meet a famous person that I want to have that much joy and excitement over knowing that the creator of the universe is my father. He's my dad. And that he is, has plucked me out of my misery and made a way for me to belong to him. Like identity is such a foundation of who we are more than our race, more than our socioeconomic class, more than anything. We are children of the most high God. I just love that. And that, that we're going to be co-heirs with Christ and we will rule and reign with him in eternity. Um, and, and it's, it's just an amazing, amazing truth to think about. So that's why I picked it. It's cute. I love your passion about adoption. Yeah. I love adoption. Um, I am very passionate about that. And um, I didn't really put the two and two together uh, until I think the last year, year and a half, um, just of how much adoption is a reflection of our belonging to the father and him standing over us and saying, you are mine and making that declaration over us. Um, but this is great. This is a great video yeah. and it's a great um, depiction of what it means to to literally be legally someone's. We legally belong to the father. Yeah. And adoption has been part of our history as Christians. Mm-hmm. The Ephesian Christians would go out to the dumps and rescue babies that had been thrown away and adopt them. Um, and adoption is still part of our our tradition as Christians that we can. Um, bring someone into our family and make them part of our family and to love them and give them a place to grow that there's a universal human longing to be loved, to belong. belong. Yeah. And to, to belong to some other people and to have that level of community. 
and this was an interracial adoption. And there's some in our culture that are all in a debate about whether or not that could even happen. But in the Christian worldview, inter- of course, of why course, would it happen? Because we're all one in Christ. Yes. So what's the problem? You know. Yeah. So I just thought it was just such an awesome picture of of heaven. Yeah. And just in a little snapshot of what it will be like. This is a word picture, I guess, as a yeah. metaphor. I love that his whole class came. I know, right? They had their little hearts and how excited he was. And I think that's how excited we should be to know, you know, this is my daddy now. This is my mommy now. Or, you know, but in, in his instance, but for us, this is my daddy now. Yeah. Um, I belong here. Yeah. I love it. So... I love their their little hearts. We're looking at the video again. The judge let him bang that gavel. He now belongs to his new mom and dad. I love it. That's awesome. Look how proud he is. Mm -hmm. He's just so happy and proud. Yeah. So, yeah. Good tweet. Yes. Good tweet. Every once in a while, there's a good one. All right. So I think that's a wrap. That is. Make sure to check out our Facebook page. Go there, like us, share the Facebook page with your friends, tell people about us. Don't forget to enter the Family 210 clothing t-shirt drawing. We will announce the winner next week. Just go um, share the show. Tell someone why you like it. Take a snapshot of it and send it to us at attlivestream.com. We will select our winner on air next week. We already have some people who have emailed us. So thank you very much for entering our drawing. Um, Thank you for all your support. Thank you for sharing the show. And be sure if you uh, want, you can check us out on a podcast as well. If you catch catch the video or you don't like sitting in front of your computer, you can do that. Uh, Podcasts, uh, Spotify, uh, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, uh, pretty much everywhere. And the show notes. Lot, yeah. Lots to put there in the show notes where we can just sort of extend the conversation and refer you to some other resources. Yeah. So. Hit us up on Facebook. Send us an email. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, you're oh, yeah. like one vote away from time right there. All right. So remember to, to vote. How many hours are left here? Ten hours left to vote. Most of those you're going to be asleep. So go go vote. Jeremy says, great show, ladies. I was supposed to watch a movie, but you kept me from it. Yay! Oh, I good. Mean, hopefully you still get your movie in. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Nancy says, great show. Thank you so much. Please share it. Um, yeah. If it's ministering to you, if it's a blessing to you, if you're learning, growing, um, or challenged, share it with your friends. And then give us some feedback. Let yeah. us know what you think. We'll right, see you next it. week. Take bye. Care, bye.